Sam said our focus this morning is going to be Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And the focus of these verses is, is clearly on the ministry of the apostles, and, and in particular, upon the signs and the wonders that were being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And I am convinced that this focus addresses some of the most important apologetic and evangelistic questions that people wrestle with today. We've all been in situations where someone asked, or maybe even we asked, why should I listen to you? Most often when, when someone asks this question, most often when someone says, well, well, why should I listen to you? It is a question of authority. And we live in a day when really all claims to authority are, are generally distrusted. Claims to authority are are assumed to be tyrannical power grabs. They're, they're assumed to be attempts to impose your will upon another. The assumed ideal in our current day is each man free to do what is right in his own eyes. Now it's recognized that, that one man's freedom may uh, contradict another man's freedom. Some people say that the, the freedom of your fist ends at the point of your neighbor's nose. You know, you, you, you can't harm your neighbor by the exercising of your freedom. But, but generally, apart from that one caveat, it is generally assumed that it's best if everyone's free to do what they want. If, if most people are, are free to, to do what they want most of the time. And so naturally, in, in such an environment... The absolute claims of Scripture are particularly distrusted. They are dismissed as tyrannical because the Scripture claims not just authority, but absolute authority. The Scriptures claim for itself the, the absolute right to, to answer all questions of faith and practice. The Scriptures, as God's Word, Tell us what we must believe and what we must do. But people today see that as a power grab because they see God's Word not as the Word of God, but as the words of mere men. This is really the exact opposite of what Paul encountered in, in Thessalonica. We're, we're told in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he, he writes, We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, as the word of God. That's simply the opposite of what we see today. People today regard the scriptures as the mere words of men. And therefore, it is of the utmost importance for us today as we are engaging the world that we show people that the Scriptures are, in fact, the Word of God. We, we need people to understand that this is not some power play. But rather, we are proclaiming to them the authoritative Word of the one true and living God. But not only do they need to see the authority of God's Word, they, they also need to taste it's goodness, because there's another way that people ask that same question. People, people can say, why should I listen to you? Meaning, what authority do you have to speak to me? 
But sometimes when they ask that question, sometimes when they say, well, why should I listen to you? They're, they're not asking about authority, but about wisdom. They're, they're asking about the outcome. Why should I listen to you? What's the expected outcome? What's going to happen if I listen to you? What, what benefit is there going to be for me? And again, this is a question that people today often ask with respect to the Scriptures. We live in a day when, when it is just assumed, even by those who have never really read the Scriptures, that the Scriptures are narrow, that they're restricting, that they're puritanical, that they will be the wet blanket upon the fun of your life. And so the prevailing thought is, why would anyone want to live that way? And so again, we, we have to be ready to, to answer this question. We, we have to be ready not only to point people to the Scriptures as the authoritative Word of God, but we have to be ready to point them to the Scriptures as the very words of life. So how do we do this? How do we address these questions? How do we, how do we answer the question, why should I listen to you? I believe one way that we can do this is by pointing people to the ministry of the apostles. By showing them the reasons that the first Christians had for receiving these words, the, the words of the apostles as the very words of God and as the very words of life. And that is precisely what this text allows us to do. In this text, we see first the apostles' authority, but we also see their message. And in Seeing both their authority and their message allows us to answer the question, why should I listen to you? So let's, let's look at both of them this morning. Let's, let's begin with the apostles' authority. Luke actually gives us two pieces of evidence to support the claim that the apostles speak with divine authority, that they, that they speak the very words of God. We, we see the first in verse 12. Paul, uh, Luke writes, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. This is the apostles' power. And it is the first piece of evidence that, that uh, Luke gives us in support of the apostles' authority. It is, it is like those tickets being uh, uh, put across the table so the kids could see. We see the signs and the wonders done by the hands of the apostles. But not only do we see the, the signs and wonders, we also see... Their identity, we, we see that they were a known group. Again, we, we see this in verse 13. Luke writes, None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. The people stood apart from the apostles even as they respected them. And I think each of these shows us something of their authority, an important aspect of their authority that allows us to answer that question, Why should I listen to you? So let's, let's look more first at the apostles' power. This is really the, the, the main thing that we see in this text. It's, it's reflected actually in the, the heading that the ESV gives. You, you know when you're reading through your Bible that those headings are, are not part of the original text. They are, they are put there by the editors and the, the publishers to, to help us navigate our way through the Scriptures. But, but the headings often give us a clue as to what the text is about. And here the ESV says, many signs and wonders done. The NIV, if you're using that, has, has something similar. It says, the apostles heal many. The, clearly, the, the focus of this paragraph is on the signs and the wonders upon the, the healings that are taking place. The, the apostles are doing many miracles among the people. In fact, the signs and the wonders were, were becoming so common and so well known, we're told, that, that people were carrying their sick loved ones into the street in the hopes that Peter's shadow might pass over them, and that by touching his shadow, they might be healed. 
Well, that may seem odd to some of us. <laughs> it may even seem a little bit superstitious and, and therefore inappropriate. But I don't think that's the way that, that Luke wants us to see it. In fact, notice that, that verse 15 is connected to verse 14. as He, he tells us that, that many were being added to the Lord so that they did this. Luke wants us to see this as, as an expression of faith. And we can remember that, we can, we can see that when we remember that the signs and the wonders that were being done were real. People were actually being healed. Remember back in, in chapter 3, we, we read about a man born lame, who was now more than 40 years old when he encountered Peter and John going into the temple. And this man who had been lame all his life, he was healed. In an instant, by a word, in the name of Jesus Christ, that really happened. Now, I know it's, it's strange to emphasize that in, in this particular setting because most everyone here this morning professes to believe that these things were real. They profess to believe that these things were really happening. There may be a few here this morning who are, who are questioning, okay, did that really happen? But for the most part, we profess to believe that, that these are historical events. But while we believe it, I'm not sure we always believe it in the way that we should. My parents have a friend from their days at Covenant Colleges. His name is David. He, he lives in Atlanta now. And he was born lame. His arms and his legs are, are twisted. They have not worked properly his, his entire life. And when I think about the man born lame in Acts chapter 3, I need to think about David. I, I need to remember, this is the man... <laughs> It is as if David were instantly healed. As if, as if Peter spoke a word and his arms and his legs were made straight and strong, he began leaping and, and praising God in the streets. That's what happened. And it's easier for me to think about that happening to some man I don't know described in, in Acts chapter 3 than it is to think about that happening to a man, a flesh and blood man that I know. But we have to remember that these events were happening. People were, were seeing them. And so when they began to bring their loved ones into the street in the hope that, that Peter's shadow might fall upon them, it isn't superstition, it is faith. It is, it is akin to the faith of the woman who, who reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment so that she might be healed. There's no doubt that that woman did not fully understand who Jesus was. Really, nobody at that point, even the 12 disciples, understood who Jesus was at that point. But she knew with certainty that God's power was at work through him. She knew that Jesus was God's instrument of salvation for his people. And so she reached out to touch him, that she might partake of that salvation. And that is the same thing that the people of Jerusalem knew about Peter and the other apostles. They knew that God was at work through them. They, they knew that God's power now flowed through their hands. And it wasn't only the people of Jerusalem. Word of the apostles' power was, was beginning to spread. We're told in verse 16 that people were coming uh, to the town. They were bringing their loved ones to the apostles from, from all of the towns and, and, and villages surrounding the city. And that is significant because the apostles' power validated their authority. 
You see, the apostles were men just like us. They didn't have power to to heal. They didn't have power to cast out demons in and of themselves. Such power belongs only to God. Only the God who, who spoke into existence things that previously did not exist can by a word make the lame whole. Only the, the God who, who, who created both the visible and the invisible can command evil spirits and they obey. And so when the apostles were doing these things, it must have been that, that God's power was at work through them, that God's power was, was flowing through their hands, that, that God had chosen them to be His instruments of salvation in that day. In fact, this is exactly what Peter said back in chapter 3. Do you remember? He said it wasn't our, our power, it wasn't our piety that did these things. It was the name of Jesus. Paul's going to say the same thing in Lystra back uh, when we get to chapter 14. He said, listen, this was not us. We are not God. This is God's power flowing through us. And this is exactly what God does for those who speak for Him. He gives them His power so that their authority to speak might be known. Remember the story of, of Moses. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush and, and told him to go back to Egypt, Moses wasn't too excited about going because he did not believe that the Israelites or the Egyptians would believe that he spoke for God. And why should they? Why should they believe that this, this exiled Egyptian, now a, a shepherd for some 40 years in Midian, why should they believe that, that he speaks with divine authority? I mean, if someone showed up here this morning claiming to speak for God and demanding that we do this or that, I think you would want some proof before you just listened, before you just bowed down and did what they said. And that is exactly what God gave to Moses. He gave him proof. He, he gave him three signs that demonstrated that God spoke through him, that he indeed was the mouthpiece of God. And that is what God has done for his chosen spokesman ever since. You see, God does not leave us to guess who speaks for him. He does not speak to a man privately in a cave and then expect everyone just to believe him when he emerges. When God authorizes a person, when God authorizes a prophet or an apostle to, to speak for him, he validates that person's authority with signs and wonders. And this is why the words of the apostles were received as the very words of God the moment that they were spoken or the moment that they were written. It's why the Thessalonians understood that when Paul spoke, it was not the mere words of a man but that this was the Word of God. And those signs and wonders were the reason that they could receive the words of Paul, or the words of Peter, or the words of, of any of the other apostles with divine authority. It's the reason that we can still receive them today. You see, there was not a point in time when the church decided that the, the books and this, uh, uh, that the, the, the letters and the, and the uh, scriptures in this book were, were somehow authoritative. The, the church didn't decide that. Rather, the church received those books and those writings that were authoritative the moment that they were written because they were written by one whose authority had been publicly validated. 
And that is crucial for us to emphasize today because because the critical narrative that, that, that so many hear today, that so many believe today, is exactly the opposite. Today, so many people believe that the, that the church got together and decided, well, these are the books we like and these are the ones we don't like, so we'll, we'll call these authoritative. That is simply not the way that it happened. That is simply not good history. These books were received as the very word of God the moment that they were written because the men who wrote them had been publicly validated by God by the many signs and wonders done through their hands by God himself. And so when people today ask, who are you to say or or why should I listen to you? We should fully affirm the appropriateness of the question. That is the right question. No one has authority to to impose their views on someone else. I have no authority in myself that that entitles me to, to tell you what you must believe or do. No one has that authority. But I don't speak on my own authority. I speak with the authority of God because I am a minister of God's word, a word faithfully delivered to his people through the hands of the prophets and the apostles, publicly validated by the very power of God at work through them. This is really the first point that we need to see this morning. The many signs and wonders done among the people by the hands of the apostles demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt that their words were to be received not as the words of men, but as the very words of God. And our second point is really directly related to this because our our second point has to do with the apostles' identity. Look with me again at the end of verse 12. We read, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, whenever an author uses a pronoun, there's always the potential for debate. There's there's always the potential for debate about what the the proper reference is, and and we have that here. Who does they refer to at the end of verse 12? Who are the they that were gathered together in Solomon's portico? Some people believe Luke is talking about the the people, all the believers mentioned in verse 12, the the people among whom these signs and these wonders were done. But it seems much more likely, since the focus of verse 12 is on the apostles, that it is the apostles who were gathered together in Solomon's portico. No no doubt the people were coming to them there. They were coming to sit under their, their teaching. They were coming to learn from them. For we know earlier in the Acts that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. But it is the apostles who Luke is talking about. It is the apostles who were gathered together in Solomon's portico. And seeing this helps us to make sense of verse 13. Luke writes, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Again, there is some debate about who exactly Luke is is talking about. Who who is it that that no one dared to join? Is it the people? Is it the believers? We, we, We don't think so because this is directly contradicted by verse 14. Many people were joining the believers. Many people were were coming to faith and being added to the Lord. And so it seems that it is the apostles whom no one dared join. It is the apostles who were held in high esteem. Again, it doesn't mean that people weren't going to sit under their teaching. Of course they were. 
But none of them dared to insert themselves into the circle of the apostles. None of them dared to, to claim the apostles' authority. We know that that will happen later, but here at the beginning, the identity of the apostles was, was clearly known, clearly established by the signs and the wonders. They were a known group. Their identity was not in question. And so therefore, no one dared to join them because they would have been immediately exposed. They couldn't fake it. They couldn't do the signs and the wonders that the apostles were doing. And, and the death of Ananias and Sapphira had already demonstrated the, the dangers of lying about your relationship to God. And so while they held them in high esteem, no one dared to join them. And that has implications for us today. The apostles were a publicly validated group, as I said. They, they were known by their signs and their wonders. And they were a known group. There was no debate about who the apostles were, who was in and, and who was out. And that means there was no debate about whose words were supposed to be received as the very words of God. Paul could say, don't listen to the false teachers because they were known to be false teachers. They were known to be outside the church. They were known not to be amongst the apostles. We see the same thing in the Old Testament. Ahab had his prophets who would say, yes, go to war. But when Jehoshaphat said, is there a prophet of the Lord? Even Ahab knew who to take him to. Even Ahab said, yeah, I know. I don't like him much, but, but I know who he is. They were a known group because they were publicly validated by God. And therefore, whose words were to be received was not up for Debate. The words of the apostles were to be received as the very words of God. And so when someone asks us, why should I listen to you? We can say, we, you should listen to us not because of who we are, but because of whose words we are ministers of. We are ministers of the word of God delivered to his people by the hands of known apostles, publicly validated by the power of God working through them to heal. So that's our first question. That's the answer to our first question. The answer to our first question, how, how, do, we, how do we answer people when we say, who are you to say, why should I listen to you? We point them to the ministry of the apostles and say, we are ministers of their words. But as I said earlier, there's a second way that someone might ask that same question. There's a second way that someone might ask, why should I listen to you? It might not be a question of authority. It, it, it might be a question of, of wisdom. Why should I listen to you? What's, what's going to happen? What's the outcome going to be? What's, what's the benefit going to be? What are you promising? That's the second point that we need to see here. And we, and we find our answer to that again in the ministry of the apostles in the, the, the message that they proclaimed, the message that was actually proclaimed by the signs and wonders that they were doing. Tim Keller suggests that a person ought to want the gospel to be true before they believe it is true. If we've proclaimed the gospel correctly, they will think to themselves, oh, wouldn't it be great if that were actually so? They may doubt it. They may find belief in a personal God hard, hard to swallow. They, 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 might, they might find the idea of a crucified Messiah who brings salvation to the world to be preposterous. 
But if we have proclaimed the gospel correctly, they should be saying to themselves, oh, wouldn't it be great if that were actually true? Wouldn't it would be great if there were a, a living God who was going to make all things new, who was going to restore creation to its original goodness, who was going to take away our shame and guilt, who was going to conquer death for us and, and bring us as, as uh, uh, imperishable inheritance into an unshakable kingdom? Wouldn't that be glorious? I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> but if it were true, that would be very good news. We actually see something of that in these verses. People were bringing the, the sick and the demon-possessed to the apostles, hoping that, the shadow, that their shadow might just touch them, hoping that they would be healed because they came hoping that the stories were true. We, we know human nature. We can suspect that some of them were probably a, a little bit cynical. Some of them were probably questioning, is this really going to work? But it's worth it. It's worth the effort to get to them. It's, it's, it's worth it to, to take the risk. Because if it's true, it is glorious. You see, people don't have to be taught that health is better than sickness. We just know that. When your back hurts, you know it would be better if it didn't. When you're in bed with the flu, you know it would be better if you were, were healthy. We know that, is that health is better than sickness. And similarly, we know that, that, that freedom is better than oppression. They knew that those afflicted by demons would be better off if they were liberated. Now, that one may be harder for modern readers to believe because we actually struggle to believe in demons. But, but understand, that is our foolishness. It's not the foolishness of the ancients that they believed in such things. It is our foolishness that we don't. If we believe in God and, we, and we, we take him at his word, we know that there is a, a devil who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that he has, he has demons who, who attack his people and, and seek to do evil in this world. And the ancients knew, they understood that there were some people who were uh, particularly oppressed and afflicted by demons. And they knew that those people would be better off if they were set free from that affliction. And that is precisely the reason that the, that the signs and the wonders done by the apostles were not just random displays of power. They didn't just levitate rocks. But rather, the, the signs and the wonders done by the apostles were healings and were exorcisms. Yes, the, the signs and the wonders did, uh, were displays of power that, that validated, but they were signs and wonders. They were displays of power that proclaimed a message a message of life, a message of healing, a message of, of liberation. You see, the salvation accomplished by Jesus is exactly that. It is a salvation of life. It is a salvation of health. It is a salvation of, of flourishing. Jesus comes to, to bring and to, to restore God's creation back to its original goodness, to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as was originally intended. He comes to bring shalom. He comes to bring peace. He comes to bring flourishing. We were created in God's image to be God's image bearers, to be his representatives on earth. But we were cut off from that vocation by Adam's sin. We were plunged into sin and misery by, by Adam's sin. We were cut off from everything that we were created for, from, from relationship with God and from service in his kingdom. And Jesus comes to rescue us and to, to bring us home, to, to restore us to that position for which we were created, that, the position in which we can flourish, the position of, of honoring God as God and serving his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
That is what Jesus came to accomplish. And that is the salvation that is foreshadowed in the healings that the apostles were, were doing. The apostles healed because the salvation proclaimed in Jesus' name was a salvation of healing. Not just the healing of our bodies, but the total healing. The, the healing of the whole person. The healing of the whole cosmos. The putting right of all that has been put wrong by Adam's sin. The putting right of creation. The bringing it back to its original glory. And if we have proclaimed that message of restoration correctly, then people ought to wish it is true long before they believe it. And so let me ask you this morning, do you feel that longing? Do you feel that, that longing for this to be true, the inexpressible joy of knowing that it's true? Is that your experience this morning? Do you know the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ to be the words of life? to be the words of health, to be the words of freedom, to be the words of flourishing. Because if you do, if that is your experience this morning, then you will follow in the footsteps of the multitudes, of those who are being added to the Lord. You will come to the apostles. You will make every effort to, to come and to, to feast at the table that they lay before us in the gospel that they proclaim. Obviously, the apostles are not still ministering, ministering in Solomon's portico today the way they once were. And the signs and the wonders being done by, by their hands in that day are not still regularly done today. But their words are still the power of God for the salvation to those who believe. Their words are still the words of life. Their words are still the words of healing. And if we know that to be true, then we will make every effort to come and to sit under their teaching. We will make every effort to let their words dwell in us richly because we know they are the words of God and as such are the words of life. And so when you're struggling with fear or anxiety or, or when, when someone you know is struggling with fear or an anxiety, you will make every effort to come to the apostles' words. To let those words dwell in you richly. And when you're, you're struggling with depression or with, with apathy, you will make every effort to come to the apostles, to, to sit under their teaching. When you're struggling with, with powerlessness or, or oppression, you will come to the apostles. You will come to their words. You will let their words dwell in you richly. And you will come to the apostles by coming to church. I know that sounds self-serving for a minister to say, but it's true. You will come and you will sit under the apostles' teaching. You will come and fellowship with people who are devoted to those words, who will speak those words with love into your life. You will surround yourself with a community of people who are shaped by those words. Because it is in those words that you have life. They are the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. The words of the apostles are the very words of God. And as such, they are the words, the only words, of true health and of true salvation, of true flourishing for God's people. These are the words that have been entrusted to the church. These are the words that I have been called to minister. These are the words that you have been called to speak into one another's lives with love. That all of us may grow up towards health 
They grow up towards likeness to the image of the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you know these words to be the words of life, devote yourself to them. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. People will ask, why should I listen to you? You may even ask, why why should I listen to the church? Why should I listen to those who, who speak in God's name? Aren't they, just, aren't they just using God's name to advance their own interests? Aren't they just using God's name to, 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 to force me to submit to their desires? Well, certainly there are those who abuse God's name, and certainly there are those who pretend to speak God's word. But the words of God truly spoken are the words of life, are the words of health are the words of human flourishing. They are the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And because God has given us such words to speak, because God has given us such words to feast upon, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in your goodness. We thank you for the ministry of the apostles. We, we thank you for, for all that we see in the work that you did through them. We thank you for the power that validates their authority. We, we thank you for the, the healings that, that show us the goodness of the, the message they proclaimed. Father God, I pray that you would open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to see and to believe this message, to receive it with faith, to submit to it, and to bring forth its fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.